Welcome to the Generation 21 podcast with me, Mohammed, and me, Mira, where we sit down with artists and arts leaders to talk about their journeys into the industry. This week, we sit down with Selena McGonigal to talk about making the shift from aspiring dancer to arts leader, winning a BAFTA, and the pressure on young artists to be pigeonholed into certain quote-unquote boxes. It's quite clear that you're a bit of an expert when it comes to dance. <sighs> I'm not sure an expert. It's something I really love and I really enjoy. But um, yes, I, yeah, my specialism, let's put it like that, yes, is dance. Specialism then. Yeah. So how did you get introduced to dance? What was that journey like? Um, my my mum sent me to dance classes when I was four. And I think because I couldn't sit still. There was kind of as a one of those children that moves around all the time, like had lots of energy. So she sent me to dance classes. And I went, I did ballet, tap, modern, everything. That's kind of and um and I just went every week, three times a week, four times a week, did shows, and I just loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I still love it. I auditioned for the Northern School of Contemporary Dance. So I kind of decided that I wanted to take it seriously, probably when I was about 16. And I thought, actually, um, I'm not very good at anything else, but I'm pretty good at dancing. That's kind of where I could make a living from. So, yeah, I, I auditioned and I was successful. So I trained at the Northern School of Contemporary Dance in Leeds. That's where I got my degree from. And that's where I was introduced to the world, a much broader world of dance. So like when you, when you start at private dance schools, you're doing your typical ballet tap and kind of um, commercial or more commercial dance. But then moving into contemporary dance is kind of you see a whole new world of what the dance, what dance can be and what it is. So um, I studied there for three years. I kind of knew while I was studying that I wasn't going to be a professional dancer. I kind of knew I was good but I wasn't amazing. I wasn't going to be the next Sylvie Guillem. I wasn't going to be, um, and I think that's not my ability, but kind of, yeah, no, it's my, my ability. That I was not going to be that. But what I thoroughly enjoyed doing, I met a lady called Nadine Senior, who's quite famous in Leeds. She did work in Chapel Town. In, well, she was the, the founder of things like RJC and Phoenix Dance Theatre, and she taught me education practice in my third year when I was at Northern School. And that really gave me my passion for teaching. We went into schools and we kind of looked at how you do creative dance practice with young people. And that's not teaching a dance technique, that's teaching people to be creative and how to make work and how to explore their physicality. And I just loved it. I was like completely hooked by that. And um, I then got an apprenticeship. I did um, an apprenticeship with Tin Arts. When I graduated, I traveled a bit. I went in, I danced all over the show just yeah in Europe and then um got an apprenticeship with Tin Arts and Tin Arts is um an inclusive dance company so they deliver work predominantly with people with learning disabilities and autism but at that time they did work across the board with everybody and um, my apprenticeship was basically learning how to teach in those different manner in yeah different ways in different schools and in different settings and I worked across the northeast so I was in Durham, Middlesbrough, Sunderland, Newcastle traveling around teaching dancing so I was doing both performance and and teaching I I decided I was going to get married so I'm okay my <laughs> As you do. Yeah, you do, yeah. <laughs> I've danced now, now I should get <laughs> yeah. married. Now I'd like to get married. So my, my husband was working in Leeds at the time, so I decided to move back to Leeds. So um, I then got a job at the Northern School of Contemporary Dance. So I became oh, education and community manager at the Northern School of Contemporary Dance. So again, in charge of all their younger people's provision and older people's provision and um, community work. The biggest bit of piece of work I did for them was Yorkshire Young Dancers. That's part of the 
what used to be the Centre for Advanced Training. So you have Yorkshire Young Musicians, you have Yorkshire Young Dancers, and that was the first time that what would kind of uh, professional training for young people had come out of London. And um, Northern School and Northern Ballet were the first people to kind of introduce that. So, And that was my job at the time, to bring that programme to life, which was the CAT programme, um, which was great. When I was doing some work, one of the students I worked with on that programme, and they're dancing all over the world now, and it's that kind of... I, oh. I know I kind of had that influence on young dancers and them going on to further training. So, yeah, it, it was a great job. It's a pretty incredible feeling, though, that, you know, you work with young people and now they kind of... They've been able to follow their passion and turn it into something that they're now kind of bringing joy to people all over the world. Yeah, and that's and that's what I love about it. It's like I've got to a certain age now where I, I do bump into new artists that I was a person who might have seen them in school or I might have been the person that they came on a workshop with and they were like, absolutely loved it and they've gone on to do training and they've done that in like, not just dance, usually it's all sorts of things. I met a lady the other day I taught dance to, she's an our TV executive and it's like, but she knows that kind of her dance training or being influenced, they, they all influenced her decisions to kind of work in the creative industries. So yeah, that, that's... And I think that's why that kind of, I knew I didn't want to be a professional dancer. I didn't, I knew that I wanted to have a, an impact on people's lives. I think most people go into the arts because you want to make change, you want to see difference. And I think I knew I could do that through education and teaching and engagement, whatever you want to call it. Like, that's what I loved about it. So, yeah, so after, where was I? So I was at the Northern School of Contemporary Dance and then I went on to become Director of Learning at Northern Ballet, which I did for eight years after we did a lot of work <laughs> just like oh, um, a lot of different dance programs which you can still see now which was education work so taking children to see go to the theatre go and see ballet um, but also taking part in dance for good physical health activities we did a range of programs over over many years but the most the most famous or the most the one I'd had most work on was short ballets um, we created short ballets for small people and that was the work that went on to be on telly, went on to be on CBBS, and that's what Ugly Duckling won the BAFTA. The idea was ours was to create a a ballet that children, aged between naught and five, can go and see with their mum, dad, grandma, and granddad, creating something that gives you initial engagement. So um, we know that if you like anything, if you start doing football at the age of two you'll probably continue to enjoy football throughout your life because you'll, you just love it. You just engage in it that early on. So if you can change that, it's like in education concepts, if you can change the habits of a, a child very early on, it has an impact on the rest of their lives. Short Ballys was around, it was an affordable way. Tickets were all, always, and I think they might still be, it's about £5 to go and see it, £5 per ticket. So it's a cheap option to go and see the ballet and try and remove the ideal that ballet is only an elite art form. It's only for people who can afford to see it. It was trying to change that that mentality. So, um, And then the CBBS thing came in on top of that as a kind of programme. And they, they recorded, I think, about four programmes on CBBS. So again, putting ballet for under fives on telly means you're engaging with whole new audiences that kind of go actually ballet isn't just for I know, it's not just at Covent Garden it's something everybody can enjoy and yeah and I'm very proud of it I bumped into a young child whose sister was on our arts engagement program at the foundation and um her sister had been to see the ballet the day before and it's like they were really inspired by it and kind of they loved it and you're like well that's brilliant that's and I had I, I played a role in that so yeah. That's pretty awesome, that is.
<laughs> yeah. yeah, kept me busy for a long time. <laughs> very busy. Right, right. Because like creating work for kids is is a whole different ball game, though, isn't it? Because it's hugely challenging. And people think it's really easy. They like, oh, well, you just sort of dumb it down for children. It's like, no, no, they're no. a very difficult audience to please. So it's got to be short. It's got to be kind of high energy. But it's got to be a story they like. And it's animals. We always like try to pick stories with certain animals in it because then you can characterize those really well. But um, yeah, it's it. It's a yeah, a very niche audience that you have to please. And yeah, um, it's the reaction I find is instant, and that's yeah. what that's. I mean, you don't have to wait twenty four hours for a review. The review is when you look at their faces, and if they're just turning around and looking everywhere else, you know you've lost them. Yeah, yeah, um, completely really, engaged yeah. in it. Yeah, kept me very busy for many years, and I kind of it's nice now to go. I've done that and move on. <laughs> so I started at the Geraldine Connor Foundation three years ago. I've always been either the manager or director of a learning and engagement team. So this was in, I was in charge of an organization. So it wasn't kind of that kind of audience engagement section of it. It was everything. And um, that's why I wanted to do the job because I'd not had that opportunity before. And um, I also, although I love dance and that is my specialism, it was nice to move out of dance and into a much broader art form which also showed me that I don't know a lot about a lot of other art forms, which is slightly scary most of the time. But um, yeah, that's that's what I find interesting about the work at the foundation now. You love dance. You knew you were good at it, but you didn't think you would be the best. And therefore, that's why I, I may un- have understood yeah, this yeah, completely no, wrong. But yeah. it was because of that not feeling like you could be the best that you didn't take that forward. And mm. That's so interesting. I yeah. mean, and I question it a lot. Some like recently, you go like, "Well, what if I had though? What if I'd just gone okay? I'm going to be a dancer. And I've gone because I've got a kind of attitude that if I'm doing something, I want to be the best at it. I don't like kind of standing back and so um. But I, I think what I knew is that the commitment to be the best is like any art form, like vocationally, you have to give it one hundred percent. You are doing that every day and it's it's your life. It's your complete soul into that. And I just think that I wanted other things. I did want to have children. I did want to have a family. I kind of, I do love it, but it wasn't going to be everything in my life. And I think to be the best at those things, those are what people do. It's like being the best athlete. I think you don't, you don't give it up on a, on a Saturday morning. It's like, no, you're out there every day doing that. And I think I knew mentally that wasn't my bag. That wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. So I think maybe I could have been the best dancer. But no, I, I, I like that. Having, I know I'm really good at motivating, encouraging, educating and teaching. And I'm, I like, that's, that's what I knew my skill set. That's where it led. That's where it was. So yeah, it's hard though. You don't know, do you, like those decisions you make about where you're going to go in your career. I think it's hard to know then what the right path to take is you kind of just go okay that's the opportunities that's there for me I'm going to go with that so yeah because I I wanted to ask whether there was any tension between that side of you that wanted to be a facilitator and the facilitator and the artist I was wondering whether there was a bit of tension there but it seems like I don't know like no and even now it's kind of I don't class myself as an artist like I, I'm definitely the facilitator, I'm definitely the producer, I'm definitely the kind of conduit in the kind of artist, audience, somebody who tries to bring them together to make work. I think I have artistic opinions, 
probably got a lot of those. Well, I think most people have, but um, I don't see myself as the ultimate maker. And I think usually that's either the young people I'm working with or the children I'm working with or the artists I'm working with. I'm the kind of the bit that trying to makes it makes it happen. Now, later in my career, I feel like I could go back to dance and I could go back and be that artist. I think I've, I've learned enough now on a journey that I could do that. And I also feel that in the current climate that that would be absolutely fine to do. I don't feel like my career's ended here and that's absolutely. that's something else that could happen later in life yeah just to add to that is you know people are good at different things yeah you know i don't i don't think any any singular person is just good at one singular thing um like you could be an incredible dancer but in addition to that you can do x y and z as well yeah um so you kind of don't have to pigeonhole yourself into kind of and i think we do you know sometimes in in, in this industry people do put themselves in boxes of kind of I, I'm just this musician and that's the only thing I do and it's like it's not really how it works or it can't well I, I think you, you'll suffer in a career I think you've got to be open to all the possibilities that are out there for you and that's that kind of entrepreneurial nature of looking at what those opportunities are and what you want to do so yeah we kind of put up different artists in different boxes to be kind of that's that's the kind of work they do or they deliver they teach in this certain style it's like Actually, if you put them in a different environment, they might they might teach in a different style and do a different thing. But do you think so. sometimes that there's a pressure to kind of almost pigeonhole yourself because it's kind of like, <clears throat> oh, we'll reach out to this artist because they're very good at that. Mm. But we won't reach out to that one. Even though he or she can do that, it's not quite as good as that one because they do other stuff as well. Yeah. Um, and you kind of feel compelled that I need to be amazing at my one particular thing. Um, so then I can be hired just for that. Yeah. Do you think that happens sometimes? Yeah, I think so. Well, I, I, I know that I'm a, I'm, when I'm looking at artists, I, I know artists who are certain good at, like, they, these are good at working with, I don't know, young people, under fives, and they're great doing movement. And I know who those artists are, and you keep going back to them for that same thing. But they've probably done a whole range of other things, but I don't ever employ them to do that. So, um, yeah, I think we do pigeonhole artists. I think particularly the one thing that always frustrates me as well is that um, teaching and education becomes kind of like this if um, a secondary tool that kind of you're either an artist who makes great work, but you're never you, like the teacher or is never celebrated to the same level as kind of the great artist. And I think it's just as important, it's just as valuable and it's just as needed the both are needed just the same, but we kind of categorise the teaching element as a kind of, well, yeah, it's not as important, is it, as the great art is. Mm. I think, well... Mm. That's interesting because knowing what I know about Indian classical music, I could be totally wrong here as well, yeah. but um, the, the great artists are also the great teachers and they're viewed in that way. Um, and it's like they're a they're an all-in-one for anyone looking for knowledge or I suppose spiritual enlightenment as well I, I, that, at least that's how I understand yeah they're looked upon so I think that's really interesting. I think that is really interesting I think what how great that is that the whole thing is like you are valid for your your art but also how important it is to teach and pass on those skills to somebody else yeah. whereas I don't think that is in every sector or kind of cultural background I think that's I like the idea that holistic artist actually mm. is having both those skills, that both those skill sets, what we should be aiming for in our, in our artists. Yeah.
Let's go back to talking about the GC Foundation. Um, mm-hmm. So, you're the you've been the director there for is it how three many? years. For three years now. Three years, maybe um, four. Yeah. So, what what does the foundation do? Oh, that's a good question. So, um, we bring people together through arts and culture. So, it could be any art. So that could be music, dance, film, photography, poetry, and culture. We we celebrate culture from around the world. I think the best the best way of explaining it is so Geraldine Connor was a Trinidadian born musicologist, director, theatre maker. And her most recognised piece of work is Carnival Messiah. And um what that example gives us is Carnival Messiah takes carnival art, which is the carnival procession that you see on the street, Leeds West Indian Carnival, and Handel's Messiah, a classical piece of music. And she brought them those two things together. And um, by doing that, by bringing very, very different culture and art forms together, she brought different people together and different artists. And that kind of kind of collaboration brings different people from different backgrounds and cultures together to recognise what different culture is and but also celebrate their own. So we're always looking for a bit of a mix-up of ideas. So um, the foundation itself, we have kind of three, three strands of work. So we do grassroots arts engagement work with children and young people, which is from 8 to 18-year-olds. Usually it's free. It's usually community. It's usually delivered in a community setting. Um... We then work with young people aged 18 to 30, usually as a, emerging practitioners, people who are just setting out on their kind of journey. They've either done the vocational training and then we assist them with their direction of where they're going in their careers. And then we work with our creative associates, which are a group of artists who worked with Geraldine or ha- carry on the ethos of the organisation. And we help them in their own personal development with their whatever yeah projects or art they're delivering and working on and then we look at projects that we can deliver ourselves as a as a collaborative group does that answer you yeah is that what the foundation yeah. does that's, that's what it. the foundation does it does keeps also. me out of mischief <laughs> keeps me busy you can say that again <laughs> so talking about marketing you you yeah. help emerging artists break out into the industry we've mm-hmm. talked about that briefly yeah uh, and a key part of that self-branding. So for those of us that don't know what branding is, what is it and why <laughs> is it important for an independent artist? Well, I suppose I'm, I'm kind of I'm struggling with the branding thing. I think that's branding all, always leads you back to McDonald's and kind of mm. big brands and Pepsi and kind of I think what's really important when you're starting out as an artist to know who you are. It's kind of that what what are your skills what are you trying to te- give to other people and clearly stating them? And I think so that it's not really branding, it's a self-awareness. So I think that we always say there's kind of, you can't be everything to every man, so don't try to be. It's like a lot, I get a lot of young artists say, oh, I, I, can, I can make you a film, but I can also photograph it and I can also, I can probably direct it for you and I could probably do the choreography and I might be able to do the soundtrack. And it's a bit like, Mm, I'm no probably not you probably could do one of those things really well for me and I want to know what that thing is and I think it's figuring out all the things that you want to be as an artist and clearly articulating what they are and I think that's finding your brand it's almost that personal kind of it's not it's not brand it's um it's who you are it's like what what how are you going to and how, who are you happy to put out into the world and talk talk about because you have to be able to talk about yourself 
So I think that's, I think my, my, my top tip with, with young artists or new artists or emerging artists or whatever you want to call is that articulate your skills. If you're a filmmaker, say you're a filmmaker. If you're a dancer, say you're a dancer. Don't try to be everything to every man. That's, it's it's hard. Well, it goes back to the kind of putting people in boxes. So yeah. everybody's scared of me putting someone, I'm just, I just dance. It's like, you probably could do three other things, but actually that is what you, you need to develop. You need to get kind of really good at something. That's. But then I would add to that, that like, I guess, I, I mean, this is just me, but I don't know if your mm. opinion is different on the matter, but as a producer, I don't like being missold a product. If an mm. artist or, it doesn't matter, it could be an artist, it could be somebody else, really. I mean, it doesn't really matter. But it's telling me I can do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. I can hire you and I can get all of this instead of hiring five different people. Yes. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe there's, there's bad decision-making on my part. I don't know. But then if I find out that you can't actually do all of those things, I'm going to get really annoyed at you. You're completely right. It's that overselling. It's yeah. the... It's trying to do everything. It's like, no, you can't. And also it's, yeah, you'll just let people down and you don't want that. I think the other really important, that thing is like, you have to, yeah, you have to do what you say you do and do it well. And don't, you, you don't have to do everything. So, um, and I think it's that honesty. I think be honest about what you can and can't do. And it's really easy at the beginning of your career or when you've kind of changed, it's that, you, you want to be able to prove to people that you can do it. And it's like, oh, yeah, I can, I can direct a full feature film. It's like, if you've never done that and you haven't got that experience, don't say you can. It's it's that because all people do, you let them down. They have a bad experience with you. They won't employ you again. So always be honest about what you, your skills are. Be clear about what you can do. And my other golden, golden tip is just be reliable. If you're going to say you're going to be there at a certain time, you be there. You make sure you're planned and you're organised and you're ready for it. It's a it's a fast-moving industry. There's a lot of freelancers out there, but we, we want people who can do the job and can do it well. And I think that's the other, is that reliability. Sometimes people don't realise that how important that is to a project, especially in the arts, because they're usually short-term projects. You've got three or four days on it. You have to have people who are going to be there and do the job. So, it, yeah, reliability, yeah. Um, so you used to work as a freelancer, mm. as a freelance dancer before, and now you're working with freelancers by hiring them. <laughs> so there's been that kind of shift there. What are the differences, I guess, from when you used to work as a freelancer then to compared to kind of what the industry is like now? Because it has the industry has developed and changed somewhat. I mean, there, obviously there have been like political considerations and stuff like that of funding being tightened up. Yeah. But the industry has, is in many ways different now because of technology and, and the influence of it. Yeah, um, I don't know, I've never really thought about it, which is probably really bad. Um, I think one of the things that hasn't changed, which is really sad, is pay. I think artists and what they get, what I probably got paid as a freelance artist, maybe, what we're talking, nearly 15 years ago. I can imagine the rates aren't very dissimilar, which when you think, that's kind of a long time for that to... But um, I don't think that's the pay has changed any, which is shocking. And I think that's there's something in the industry about looking after freelance artists and about how much that's regulated across different organisations and who pays what. Would you um, say that, sorry, just to cut mm-hmm. in there, would you say that forces people to work m- a lot more then compared to before? Yes. Because if they're earning the same amount as before, but the cost of living yeah, has gone, it's gone through the roof. Yeah. 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 I would say the majority of freelancers, I yeah, they do 
a lot of work a lot of work probably far too much work and I think that kind of leads then to that illness and kind of not looking after themselves as well but yeah and it's it's competitive it's like when I was probably freelancing dancers in the northeast it was probably there wasn't as many now there's a lot more graduates out there there's a lot more artists a lot more artists who are skilled I think it yeah much more competitive now and the range of people you can get to do different work so I think yeah that's that's different and I think the other one that I'm noticing now with more established artists is that in delivery of workshops or creating work or whatever you're doing some of our younger I don't know how to print it like are, are better adapted to that work and our more established artists struggle or they don't have the same access or don't know how to access those those maybe software programs things you can download for free they're not as clued up on that as well so there's a big difference between our kind of established artists who are older and the newer artists coming through so um yeah I think it's it's really tough being a freelance artist I think what I learned when I was at Tin Arts which was when I kind of went from that I've gone through training, I've done my apprenticeship and I was employed by TIN and I was employed by a few other people to do work is that you have to be an entrepreneur. You have to be thinking, how, what work do I want to be doing and how can I work with organisations? It's You can't wait for people to kind of approach you about things. It's, you've got to be proactive. You've got to see where you want to be going and what you want to be doing and trying to engage those relationships build those networks be in the right place at the right time to be included in the activity and I th- that hasn't changed and I think people underestimate the importance of us we're saying building relationships making contacts that hasn't changed and I think you, you still have to do all that <laughs> you just have to do everything now there's just more more to do so you said in an interview with the Yorkshire oh, Evening Post. You said, oh, sounds like my children. Yeah. You said I couldn't. Like, go on. Uh, you said, one of my main aims is to ensure there's a legacy. So it's important to get that right if we want to be around in the next 10 years. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to unpack with that. <laughs> That's huge. But I think it'd be interesting to start off with a broad one. <laughs> okay. What do you think needs to be done to preserve the arts for the next generation? Oh, 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 I don't know. Um, that's really challenging. I think we're in really difficult times at the moment. I think we're in really big times of change. At the moment, we have a society based on individuals. Everything, when I started in education, that what, what was just coming in was um, individual learning plans that everybody had their individual needs met kind of to be able to develop and progress which is completely right and kind of that bespoke way of working with people but I think there's something about collaboration and how we have to work as a team and how we have to gather together that's somehow being lost at the moment and I think there's something about that in the arts that um, we don't join up and share a voice together enough that, that I think that's a, a port, important thing about kind of survival, that we join up our voices and say the right messages at the right time. Unfortunately, because funding has been so tight for the last maybe three or four years of kind of getting resources in, all, a lot of arts organisations and creative industries and businesses, it's become hugely competitive. We're all competing for the same pots of money. We're all competing for venue spaces and recognition and marketing and kind of all the time we're kind of against each other. I think that has spoilt that idea that actually the arts are about 
bringing people together actually and we could do that better if we were working together better and I think at the moment I think that that would be my step about kind of preservation in the arts in the next few years needs to be more joined up and needs to be more strategically thought about and I think that's that's missing maybe it's there like the Geraldine Connor Foundation Foundation is not an MPO so we're not a national portfolio organization so when you're outside of that you you don't get the Arts Council support so I might be I you might feel that as SAR UK is an MPO that the Arts Council is doing the advocacy and that kind of shouting about the arts but at the moment I feel actually that that doesn't happen it's not joined up or it used to be joined up and it's not anymore so but that's my opinion I don't know what what do you think is that kind of do you think there's a good working ethos across different arts organizations you've done all the placements and different things haven't you mm. fair question actually I know that in from what I've seen in brochures and stuff from different theaters it's becoming far more of a thing that productions are co-produced mm-hmm. um so to take uh, Lee, um, My Beautiful Laundrette. Um, that was a Curve Theatre production, which is based in Leicester, uh, with Leeds and a few other places. And I've noticed that a lot of the stuff that's happened, there's a lot of kind of working together that's happening on that one level. But then these are kind of like big producing theatres that have the resources to be able to do that and and whatnot. And then there's, I'm assuming on, on some level, they'll be kind of, all right, I've worked with da 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 he or she is at Curve. All right, let's. Uh, I think they'd be really good for this, which is why then Curve then came yeah. on board. For example, I, mean, I don't know if that's actually how it happened, um, but I'm assuming that there's probably an element of that because personal connections in this industry is massively important. Um, much as we might not like that sometimes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting in itself, isn't it? That's, yeah, that's, that's still have very much how it works. And kind of, I came from a background where I have absolutely no connections to arts mm-hmm. at all. Um, so I, when I saw this training program, I then kind of applied for it. And then now that I've been here for almost six months, um, I've made a lot of connections and I've realized how important that is yeah. for kind of, for what I do and, and going forward and whatnot. So I'm kind of putting a lot of energy into creating and maintaining those connections. As for individual artists, it's, it's a good question because it's particularly when you're emerging. Well, if I'm emerging, who's going to be wanting to work with me? So that that's a bit of a roadblock, and then when you do, it's kind of like, are we? It's you're right. We're we all competing for the same, you know, these slots over here at that festival. If I kind of, if I'm better, then I can get it. That means somebody else isn't going to get it. Yeah. Um, rather than perhaps working together, but then some organisations are a bit like, now nah, we want you, we don't want you together. Um, on the one hand, it seems that there is some sort of collaboration going on, but on the other hand, it does feel like. It's quite diff- particularly as an individual. It's quite difficult to do that. Yeah, it's a lot easier to do that if you are an established organisation. Yeah, those if major I... arts organisations. There's easier ways because you've like talked about like marketing, how they've collaborated on mm. marketing and kind of they've collaborated on like performance elements. And I suppose what I'm there's that's great and that's kind of like the external bit. But it actually, it's the the strategy or the kind of what's the ambition. So, like for Leeds, for example, like Leeds 2023 is a great opportunity to galvanise. And when it was in its kind of first, um, when it was unsuccessful because of Brexit and European culture, but what was great about Leeds 2023, it, it brought people and arts organisations in Leeds together to talk about, well, what do you want as a city? 
And I kind of, what's great about that, that ongoing conversation is that it includes everybody and it kind of looks at culture from its grassroots writing, kind of like Chapel FM or mm. kind of the, um, I don't know, Otley Courthouse, right the way through to Opera North or Phoenix Dance Theatre. So it's kind of looking at major middle scale, small arts organisations and culture and how they can work together. And I think that's actually the there's a better way of working together, a more efficient way of working together. And that's not just marketing or sharing or liking things on Facebook by other organisations. It's actually what are my ambitions as an organisation and how can that artistically work with you and creatively work with you and how does that make sure that progression for young people is transparent, which goes back to the having the great contacts and what's really bad in the arts and is still really bad in the arts is that it's your little black book of people still that system yeah. is still firmly in place and that I'm, I'm quite passionate about opening doors for other people to come through and making sure we do do that and um, it's not well it's always been what you know and who you know mm. has been really important and it is really important but it should also be really transparent that all jobs should be advertised I always love the the work placement one it's like well my mate wants my child to have a, a work placement so they just kind of give it to yeah, yeah, their friend. It, yeah. And it's like, well, actually, no, that placement should go to somebody who actually... It should go to somebody else. Who needs that. I remember that. I was listening to... I mean, it's a different context, but it's the same thing, actually. I was listening to a debate um, on Sky News and one of the presenters said that, oh, um, if I was looking for work experience, then yeah, I'll just get somebody who comes from a family of journalism. Um, and it's kind of like, yeah, isn't it a bit obvious? Like, they already come from a family and... They kind of they already know the industry, so I don't really have to tell them anything. Yeah, you see. But then, same. without realizing that, what you're actually doing is creating the massive problems of kind yeah. of I'm keeping it within my. Yeah. And the thing is, our circle circle of contacts are only so many. Yeah. Nobody has contacts in every single community ev everywhere, right? Yeah. So in his particular case, as kind of very middle class and white, the people that were going to come into the industry as a result of him will all be very middle class and very white. Yeah, it just escalates. Because the same his... cycle goes on and exactly. on. Exactly. That's just, just like, that's yeah, just who immediate contact bases um and yeah so that means other people trying to get in it's a lot more difficult and yeah. the one thing i've certainly noticed is that opportunities kind of come around all very organically and um they, we'll start talking and then you think oh you know what i've got this thing that i'm working on at the moment i think you'd be very good at doing that after hearing this or maybe you know somebody or yeah something like that and then that's how those relationships ended end up developing and that's how opportunities are created so unless if you're in those conversations it's very di like it's very difficult yeah to get ho to get access to those opportunities and the one thing i was conscious of is am i create am i kind of just recreating the same problems i was talking about because i found it hard to get in and now that i'm in you close the gate behind i'm you. closing the gate behind is <laughs> that like, what i'm doing yeah, you've got but to be very was, conscious of which it which is yeah i mean it's something that i've got to be really mindful of yeah um you know not to drag up the ladder with me yeah um so the one thing i'm kind of I'm really hoping that the networks I then end up developing, I can then open them up yeah. behind me for other people to come in. And it's so, so important. So I can use it yeah. rather than kind of just close it off. Yeah. Um, and it's just being really conscious of it. I think in every project you do, like, you're right. You, you Because you've had the right meeting at the right place at the right time and kind of you've got that foot in the door, which is kind of probably not the best way of that happening. That that should be open and people bid into it or whatever the process should be. Agreed. But um, what one of the things we, we say at the foundation is that we have um, a multi-layering multi of talent. So in every project that we do, 
It's usually led by a professional artist, but they'll usually be supported by a support artist, and that might be their first opportunity at actually developing skills or shadowing an artist. And then we'll have young people in that project. You'll have the producers who are on that project. And it's multi-layering of talent. So there's young, old, experienced, not experienced, and we're all learning. And the other is that there's no hierarchy in that. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm the director. But if you saw me last week, I was dancing in the class just as much as the young people were. And it's that kind of, we are all here as equal and we're all here as artists. or We're all here to learn. We're all here to do something different. And even the most, well, I hope the, the artists that we work with, like even how experienced they are, which they are, they'll still be learning from a young person who walks in the door about what, how they can show their art in a different manner. So it's keeping that openness all the time. So you try, you, you've just got to make sure you're always aware of that kind of keeping the doors open to people. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Generation 21 podcast with me, Mira, and me, Mohammed. Be sure to check out the podcast page on our website, www.saa-uk.org, for all episodes, episode notes, including our Spotify playlist, where we've compiled all the pieces of music that we have been listening to with our guests. And trust me, you're going to want to hear that eclectic collection. You can find more from Generation 21 on your favourite podcast apps and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook with the handle at South Asian Arts UK. See you in our next episode. Bye.